Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our first passage today is from Colossians 1. We haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we hear, so brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. May God add a blessing to the reading hearing and understanding of this scripture. Doug Batchelor, in his book on the will of God, shares a story about a farmer who was desperately trying to find God's will. He would be out there in the fields praying, God, please show me your will. Help me to know what your will is for my life. And, and one day while he was praying, he looked up and he saw the clouds forming. They were forming into shapes. And pretty soon he could tell the shapes began to look like letters. And, and then he looked again and he saw the letters were PC. He thought, PC, God, what's PC? What does that mean? And then suddenly there was a jolt of energy that goes through his body and he realizes he's telling me to preach Christ, PC, preach Christ. And, and he, he tells all his friends, he's gonna stop farming. He's gonna go preaching Christ. He's gonna find every church that'll take him and he's gonna go out and he's gonna preach Christ. He's so excited and he starts doing this, lining up preaching gigs across the, you know, across the state. And, and at the end of that year, you know, he looks back over the last year and He's so discouraged because he realizes he's terrible at this. He's horrible at preaching. He did a lousy job and nobody came to faith in Christ. Didn't seem like anything happened as a result of his preaching. And he finally realized, I misunderstood God's will. He went back to farming. He was out in his fields once more and all of his neighbors came out and said, hey, what are you doing here? Preaching, you know, you were gonna be preaching Christ. What are you doing here in the fields again? And he says, I finally realized what PC stood for. It stood for plant corn. Finding God's will is sometimes difficult. Discerning and understanding what God's will is can be hard. And that's what we're gonna talk about today is how does the will of God work? And does God have a perfect plan for your life already scripted out? And then what does it look like to discern God's will? I mean, what are the tools that we have? I'd love to invite you to have a pen and paper and write down the things you'd like to remember and reflect upon because I believe that there are things in this message that will be helpful to you, very concrete ways that we can understand the will of God and how we discern it. All right, I wanna begin with John Calvin. John Calvin was a great Protestant reformer, one of the three or four 
you know, greatest reformers of the Protestant Reformation. He lived from 1509 to 1564. He was born in France. He ended up spending the last decades of his life in Geneva, Switzerland. He wrote a book, a really important book. It was called Institutes of the Christian Religion. This is my copy of it here. And, uh, and Calvin uh, wrote this book and then he rewrote it. He wrote it when he was 27. And then he, you know, revised it, you know, up until about six years before his death was the last revision uh, to this book. It became the most influential book of the Protestant Reformation. It continues to be an influential book for many Christians. And, and much of it, most of it, I agree with. Most of it is United Methodists we would agree with. But there's some fundamental premises in this book, some fundamental ideas that not only I, but United Methodists tend to say that is not how we understand God. And in particular, when he talks about the will of God and he talks about God's sovereignty. And so I'd like for us to talk about that for a little bit because what he teaches there has to, you know, leads to today, people who've never read John Calvin, don't even know who he is, saying things about the Christian faith we talked about a couple weeks ago. Things like everything happens for a reason and it must be the will of God and, and it's all part of the plan. So, so Calvin, one of his most important doctrines was the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Uh, sovereignty uh, is, an, is an attribute of God that has to do with God's authority, God's power, or God's rule. And so God is sovereign. God is, he answers to no one. God can do whatever God wants to do. That's God's sovereignty. And, uh, and he has the ability to do anything that God chooses to do, he can do. And so Calvin emphasizes the sovereignty of God. Now, all of us believe in the sovereignty of God. If you're a Christian, you believe that God is the highest authority. In fact, in AA, we talk about, you know, God is the higher power. So God is the highest authority, the highest power. We believe that he is the ruler of all things. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we all believe as Christians that God is sovereign and God is the, is, you know, his defining attributes are in part sovereignty. But here's what Calvin does with that. Calvin takes this and it becomes, well, it becomes sovereignty on steroids in essence. So he thinks, I believe this is what's going through his mind as he's writing, is, you know, to give the greatest glory to God, you're going to recognize that God is in control of everything. Everything that happens, happens because God wills it to happen. Every single thing, every single breath you take, everything in the cosmos happens because God is willing it to happen at any given moment. And then he goes on to say things like this. In book one of the Institutes, he says, if one falls among robbers or ravenous beasts, if a sudden gust of wind at sea causes shipwreck, if one is struck down by the fall of a house or a tree, it should be known that all events whatsoever are governed by the secret counsel of God, God's sovereignty. Well, that's God's sovereignty according to, uh, according to John Calvin. Here's something else when it comes to inanimate, you know, inanimate objects, when it comes to hurricanes and earthquakes and, and other things, nature. He says, with regard to inanimate objects, again, we must hold that though each is possessed of its peculiar properties, yet all of them exert their force only insofar as directed by the immediate hand of God. Nothing happens without his counsel. Now, on the one hand, you might read that, you know, in, in, and just, you know, theoretically and go, yeah, God's in control of everything, of course. Then you have to take the time to ask some questions, more serious questions. Okay, so if God is directing everything that happens, then you are not. If you are not, and the weather patterns, they're not dictated by simply the weather patterns on our planet. God is directing those things, which is easier to say before modern meteorology when you can actually predict when it's gonna rain down to a few minutes sometimes. You can predict when they're likely to be tornadoes. And, and as we talked about in the sermon, the first sermon, our weather people, our meteorologists are not prophets of God. Right? They just understand how nature works. Same thing with hurricanes and earthquakes and a whole lot of other things that we now understand. But see, Calvin didn't have all of that information. And so he can easily be able to say, God is directing all of these things. And it sounds like God is all powerful. But again, let's just think about this for a little bit. When you stand as I did one, once uh, in, uh, in Haiti 
and I'm standing in front of a school that's completely collapsed with the bodies of children still inside. Did God really intend that? And, and Calvin's answer would be yes. You get stung by a bee. Did God intend that? Yep. Every single thing that happens on this earth, God is directing all of it. Every single act on this earth and in the cosmos, God is willing everything by his secret counsels. Okay, so you might say, all right, so I got stung by a bee. It was the will of God. So is your cancer. This is Calvin, not me. So is your cancer. So is your COVID. So is the loss of your best friend in a car accident. So is the abuse of a child and the murder of a friend and the rape of someone else. So was the Holocaust and six million Jews put to death by the Nazis. You see, pretty soon when you really begin to think about this and that every single thing God is controlling, God is willing, it's all happening according to his will, you begin to find that now we're attributing to God things that we would arrest other people for and charge them for war crimes. But God is the one who's willing all these things according to Calvin because he's sovereign. But listen, the Bible tells us that God is just, kind, God is loving, God is compassionate, God is love, First uh, John says. So if God is just, kind, compassionate, love, and loving, then how could God want these things to happen? And by the way, in some sense, you're not really responsible for whatever you do, or Hitler's not responsible for what he did because God put it in his mind to do it. Really? But, but Calvin goes on to say, well, no, but he's still responsible. You're still responsible for your sins, even though God put you up to it. How is that fair? If God made me do it and I had no choice, but I'm still responsible, I'm gonna be held accountable and I'm gonna be guilty because of it? None of that makes much sense to some of us. There are people out there for whom this makes perfect sense. They, they take great comfort in the idea that everything that happens happens for a reason. It's part of the plan and part of the will of God. But I'm gonna tell you, when you're the person who's suffering, maybe it feels okay to you, but for most people, the thought that I'm gonna blame God for the suffering I'm experiencing leads me not to turn to God for comfort, but turn away. We've again talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So there are people out there, starting right after the times of Calvin, there were people who said, that can't be right. There was one man, Jacobus Arminius. And Jacobus Arminius uh, really took issue with Calvin's teaching on this. And, uh, and he began to say no. Oh, by the way, when it comes to Calvin's teaching about, about all of these things, and, and he says that they were predetermined. So before the foundation of the world, God had already written the script for every living human being and everything that exists. God had written this entire script for all of creation before it actually, before the earth began, apparently, or, or at least before humans were here. So before your life began, God had already scripted out everything in your life and it's all gonna happen according to God's will and you can't do anything about it, which also means that when it comes to whether you go to heaven or hell, whether you, are, uh, you choose to follow Christ or you choose to reject Christ, you have nothing to do with that. And Calvin at least was man enough to say, yep, that's right. So, so he predetermined, or we talk about predestination, he predestined or predetermined who was gonna to go to heaven before they were born? And we might say, okay, that sounds all right, as long as I'm the one who's going to heaven. But when you start thinking about every person, now this is double predestination, every person who is gonna to go to hell, God determined they'd go to hell before they were born. They can't do anything about it. Just like the person who's gonna be saved finds God's grace irresistible. They can't say no, even if they wanted to, but the person who's gonna be damned can't accept God's grace, even if they wanted to. And so God has predetermined to populate hell with certain people. They have no option no way of escaping what God has predetermined for them. Does that sound fair, just, right, loving? That doesn't even sound like God. So Calvin found all kinds of scriptures that could support these ideas. And, and you can read them, you can read his case for it. But then other people came along like Arminius and he says, no, look at the bigger message of scripture. 
And when you look at the bigger message of scripture, you're going to find that it doesn't support this idea of Calvinism. Now, Calvinists and Armenians, that's what we call uh, the followers of Calvin and followers of Armenians, Calvinists and Armenians and Methodists are Armenians. John Wesley was an Armenian, the founder of the Methodist movement. They've debated this for now 400 years, right? So that debate's going to continue, but I'm just sharing with you the perspective that I and most, well, really all, almost all Methodists hold and, and many Protestant Christians and many Catholics but I want you to think about the Bible and what it says. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But Calvin would probably have us rewrite that just a little bit. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that the elect should believe in him and have everlasting life, escape punishment and have everlasting life. But the damned, they can't believe in him even if they wanted to. God has determined that they don't get to be a part of John 3, 16. Or I think about 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. Paul writes, God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, not just the elect. There is one God, one mediator between God and humanity, the human Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a payment to set all people free, not just the elect, to set all people free. All right, so when we think about these things, uh, there, uh, I, I began thinking about God's sovereignty and God, you know, sovereignty on steroids. And, and when you think about this, you know, this need to control every single thing, of course, could God do that? I suppose God could. Would God do that? I don't think so. And our experience, our sense in our own lives is that we are making decisions. We have agency that God gave to us. God tells us the right things to do in scripture. And why would he tell us the right things to do in scripture and the wrong things to stay away from if we can't avoid it either way? It's already predetermined what we're gonna do. Why tell us not to murder or not to rape or commit adultery or any of these other things? If God has already determined we're going to do those things, he set it in motion. And so as we think about this, I begin thinking about the metaphor of, uh, of the boss in the workplace. All right, so some of you are bosses, you're managers, CEOs, presidents, senior management, C-suite people. And, uh, and then, you know, there are people who work for them. And there are two kinds of bosses. I mean, there's more than that, but at least two kinds of bosses. One are the micromanagers the people who have power and authority, and they really love to wield it. And they wield it as an absolute power. They are despots, which by the way, the Greek word despotes is the word for sovereign, translated as sovereign many times in the New Testament. They're despots, right? And so when they, when, they, uh, when they rule, when they lead, they tend to lead people wanting to manage everything. They're gonna make every final decision. They are very quick to be critical. They like to control their people. And the people that work for them, they are, they're expendable, right? It's really all about the leader. And so we know leaders like that. Maybe you've worked for somebody like that. And I just want to ask you, if you did, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy being micromanaged? Did you, did you enjoy having somebody who was a control freak as your boss, somebody who didn't let you make decisions, but needed to make all the decisions? And most people don't like that very much. They don't, they don't respond well to it. And, you know, they might stay there because they need a job or because they need the money. But here's the thing, when you're actually working in a place like that, most of the time you're working in fear of what your boss is going to do next or you just give up trying to be creative or come up with ideas because you know, no matter what you come up with, your boss isn't gonna listen. In my mind, that's Calvin's picture of God. He wouldn't describe him in such negative terms, but the God who is the control freak, the micromanager. Now think about another kind of boss, and you've had these kind of bosses, I hope too, but she or he collaborates with their employees. Yes, of course, the buck stops with them, but you know, I love how, uh, how we think about great management, great leadership is those great managers are the ones who give the praise to others and they take responsibility for the mistakes, 
right? And they're the kind of people who are constantly looking to build up their employees. They are not holding on to all of the power. They're giving power away. They're looking at ways to empower their people, to help them make great decisions, to be creative, to enjoy coming to work, to, to feel like there is a joy because they have some agency in what's happening. And they're not just being told all the time exactly what they're supposed to do. And so when we look at that, those kind of employees who have a boss like that tend to work for their boss because they love them. And they know that they are respected and loved by their boss. And I'm going to tell you that from my perspective, that is much more what God is like as a sovereign, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, than the micromanaging boss who wants to retain control and limits freedom for their people. All right. I'm being harsh with Calvin. If you talk to a Calvinist, you're going to find they're going to have a different perspective. But, but all of this, I want you to see this though, that this idea of a God who is micromanaging, who causes everything to happen, who predetermines everything that's going to happen. This is where the ideas come from that I talked about a couple of weeks ago when people say everything happens for a reason. It must be the will of God. It's all a part of the plan. Well, that's straight from Calvin, right? And when you take it to its natural end, we're going to find we don't really much like what it looks like in the end. Okay, so I was thinking of another analogy when we think about the will of God in our lives. Uh, I think about the story of your life. And I've shared this with you before in the past, but you know, this is a, this is a little book I put together, The Story of My Life by God. And, and it's as though there's already a script predetermined in here. Everything's written in advance. My job is simply to say the things that are in the script, to do the things the script tells me to do. And if I do that, I'm gonna be in the middle of the will of God because this is God's will for my life. I mean, you've heard this, people say, well, you know, God has a plan for your life. And I believe God has a plan for our lives, but I wonder, is it really like that where everything's scripted out in advance? Because that sounds a lot more like the God who is the micromanager. It sounds like Calvin's God. And we worship the same God, but how Calvin understood God. And I'm gonna to suggest to you that maybe finding out God's plan for your life, because we all wanna know, what is God's plan for my life? But maybe finding out God's plan for my life isn't about looking to the clouds and seeing it say PC and trying to figure out if that's preach Christ or plant corn. Maybe it's more like recognizing that God has already told us what his will is for our lives. He's already helped us to, to understand it. He's given us a resource to know it. And what we do, need to do is take advantage of that and, and then to recognize that maybe instead of God scripting out everything in your life in advance, maybe the book was meant to be written by you and God. So here it is, the story of my life by God and me. And if you open this up, you're gonna find it's all blank pages. So God's will for your life, God's plan for your life, isn't so much where you're gonna go to college, what year you're gonna get married, what job you're gonna have now, where you're gonna go today or tomorrow. Now I will say that God wants to lead and guide you every day. And I do believe there are times where God says, hey, I need you here. Or I really want you, or I hope that you will do this or that. So there are moments where I think that happens. I will tell you in my life, when I was 16 and an uh, and, uh, older woman in my congregation, most of you have heard this story, an older woman in my congregation came to me and said, I think you're supposed to be a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, no, thank you though. But see, she felt something in her heart. She felt nudged to come and tell me something I couldn't see in myself. Then, then another three weeks go by and another two or three weeks go by and another older lady in our congregation comes up and says, you know, have you thought about being a pastor? I really think God wants you to be a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, no, I really, I'm gonna be a doctor, a lawyer, something else, I'm not gonna be a pastor. And then my pastor comes to me and says, you know, I really think there's something in me that's telling me that God wants you to be a pastor. Would you preach for me one Sunday? And I've shared the story with you, but I, you know, I preached that Sunday. It was terrible. It was humiliating. It was awful. But inside, when I was finished, I thought, I know this was embarrassing, but I, I think I can get better at this. And I feel in my heart like this is exactly what I was made for, that God wanted me to do this, 16 years old, right? And so I believe that. I believe that that was a moment where God was saying, you know what? I've chosen you and I'm calling you to do this thing. 
Maybe not forever, maybe for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years, but I'm calling you to do this thing. And that's been exhilarating for me. Sometimes hard and challenging, but exhausting, but most of the time, exhilarating. When I was, you know, 17 years old, or actually probably right after that, right after that experience in, in being called to ministry, I also felt that the girl I was dating, I was, I was supposed to be with her and she was me. Now, I shared a story last week about getting broken up with on the Hardee's drive-thru. And so, you know, it's, the heart is a strange thing. And we can think that something is God's will when it's really not God's will. But the friendship that we had developed, I began to feel like I, I want you to be able to love this woman for the rest of your life. That's what I felt God saying to me. I want you to care for her and love her and bless her and lift her up and, and, and be my presence for her. Put, my, you know, put flesh on my love for her. And for 42 years, I've been trying to do that for her. And she's been doing that for me. And I'm so grateful that both of us felt when we were in high school that God was calling us to this ministry of marriage for the rest of our lives. So, you know, there are times where I do think God says, hey, listen up, I got something for you to do. Or, you know, I've got a lifelong journey for you to be on. That's great. It doesn't always happen that way. I think sometimes God looks at us and says, you know, we're trying to decide where we're going to go to college. And God, God says, you know, you could go there or there, and I'm going to enjoy watching whatever happens. And I'm going to bless you wherever you are. I got stuff for you to do if you go there or you go here. Your career, well, most people change careers five times over the course of their working years. And so God may be saying, you know, try that if it sounds fun to you. And then try this one if you want to do that. I'm going to use you either of those places. I've got a will for your life in either of those venues that you'd choose to go to work in. Sometimes God will say no. This is the one, this is where I need you. So we try to listen, we pay attention. If we don't see a clear signal and we, when we realize we can serve God faithfully in either of those places, then which one feels, are you most excited about, right? I mean, we begin to look for other ways. We talk about it with other people to try to discern what is it that God is asking of us. But here's what I think most of the time, God's will isn't so much like that as it is the basic principles we find in scripture. So I think about my kids when Danielle and Rebecca were growing up, you know, I, there were times I really felt strongly, like, I don't want you to do this, or I do want you to do that. But those were normally like, don't lie and tell the truth and love people and be willing to forgive and, and care for each other and do justice and love kindness. And, you know, when I think about my will for my kids, that's really what I was willing for them. I didn't choose which college they were going to go to. Like whichever one felt like would be best to serve them as they were learning and growing. And if they went here or there, that's okay. When it came to marriage, now, my girls dated, you know, various boys, and there were some I liked better than others, and the guys that they're dating right now, well, one's married. I mean, I love these guys. And, you know, but I prayed from the time they were born, God, please help them to find somebody. I didn't tell them who to find. And, and as they were growing up, we had friends who had kids the same ages, you know, and sometimes you'd kind of, well, wouldn't it be great if, you know, our kids got married to each other? None of that ever worked out. But that wasn't really my will for my kids. My will was that if they did get married, whoever married them would love them the way I love them. I mean, not the way I love them as a dad, but the way I love them in terms of the depth of my love for them, my, my desire for good for them. I wanted somebody, wanted them to have that kind of person if they, if they chose to get married. But it wasn't a specific person here or there. I did give a little bit of advice every once in a while, but generally speaking, I kept my mouth shut and said, but these are my hopes and dreams for you in your relationship. And I remember one of my daughters, you know, sometime back said, dad, I didn't think he existed, but I found the guy that you were praying for all those years by my bedside. I finally found him. And I started crying, sitting there on the phone, thinking she was listening when I was praying for her, right? And so anyway, you know, as we think about this, God's will most of the time is like this book. It's the story of our lives and you and God together write the book. And so you wake up every day and you say, here I am, please use me and guide me and lead me. And I wanna do your will and, and nudge me where I need to go. Help me to see what I need to see. And each day is another page in the great story of your life that God is writing with you and you with God. I love that idea. So I'm thinking about how Paul talks about this when he talks about the will of God. 
So you don't find that phrase, the will of God, a lot in the Bible. You find it some, but not a lot. And I was looking at all of those passages that speak of the will of God or God's will. And here's one of them, Colossians 1, 9, and 10. We haven't stopped praying, Paul says, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So what is that? So that you can live lives, if you know God's will, you will live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. I mean, here we're finding that, you know, the will of God leads us. It wasn't, a, he didn't mention, you know, you're going to study this, you're going to work there. Who are you going to marry? Are you going to get married? Instead, what he says, the will of God, as you begin to understand it, leads you to live a life worthy of God. Let me say it again. Leads you to please him in every way. Leads you to produce fruit in every good work and to grow in the knowledge of God. I think of what Paul says in Romans. Paul says this, so brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. So that's part of your, part of your worship, you know, part of your worship, but it's also part of doing the will of God is presenting yourself to God. And then he says, I, I, uh, this is your appropriate priestly service or act of worship. And then he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's part of the will of God. Don't be conformed to the world, but transformed so that you can figure out what God's will is. So when your mind is opened up and you're trying to follow God and discern God's will, you can discern God's will and it's what is good and pleasing and mature, right? This is about basics of how we live. You know what God's will is? God's will is that you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God's will is that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbors, you love yourself. You're gonna make a decision between two possible paths and one of them will lead you to love God and love your neighbor and the other one might draw you away from God or, or isn't consistent with loving your neighbor. Which path are you gonna take? It's just not that complicated to know God's will much of the time. When we seek to know God's will and to do it, we're gonna ask this question. It was asked by many people before us. You know, what is the most loving thing that I can do? That's a pretty good question. You ask that in every situation, you're gonna discern when you're trying to figure out God's will. In many situations, the most loving thing I can do is this thing, not that one, right? And so God's will is not that complicated. We look at the 10 commandments and he's pretty clear. These are the things that you're not supposed to do. These are the things that you are supposed to do. So God has made it abundantly clear in many situations, how we're meant to live our lives, what God's will is for us. And it's, it's not always, and not even most of the time, a specific decision, do I buy this car or that car? Although God's will, our holiness, our seeking to follow God can have to do with all of those things. But it's not that God's gonna give us the handwriting on the wall or the clouds in the sky. God's gonna say, I've already told you, love others, love me, do my will. You know, and, and my will is that you pursue holiness, that you pursue kindness, justice, mercy, all of these things. All right, so in the end, the story of my life by God and me is an amazing story. And can I tell you, it's a redemption story. It's a story and every great story has challenges and hardships and, and times where you're not sure how the character is gonna make it through. But a great story in the end leaves you looking back and going, wow, look what God did with all of that. Or look at the way it was resolved. Look at the way that there was redemption in this story. That's what your story is gonna be like. And it ends with good news. It ends in victory when God is your co-author and you're writing the story of your life together. All right, quickly, discerning the will of God. So how do we discern the will of God? First of all, I'm just reminded of something Dante once said. He said, in his will is our peace. I love that. That when I'm doing God's will, or at least I'm trying, I'm, I'm putting my, I'm, I'm saying to God every day, here I am, I wanna do your will, lead me and guide me. When I'm approaching life in that way, there is a peace that comes from knowing I put everything in God's hands and I'm seeking to be led by God. And so no matter what happens, if I'm, the, if I'm in the middle, middle of the will of God, God's gonna redeem this mess that I'm in, or God's gonna guide me and lead me or use me. And so in God's will is our peace. 
I think about, uh, I think about how at times, you know, the signs that God wants to give us in any particular day are pretty clear for paying attention. Last week, we talked about Bruce Almighty, where Bruce was a, was a roving reporter and he wanted to be the lead anchor at his news station in Buffalo, New York. And, and, uh, and then you remember, he, uh, he gets disappointed that he didn't get the job and he's angry with God and he's driving his car and he's praying for God's will. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to see this little clip because it captures often how we miss the signs for the will of God. Take a look. Okay, God, you want me to talk to you? What should I do? Give me a signal. I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. Ah, oh, what's this Joker doing now? You knew that was coming, didn't you? And this is what happens sometimes is we miss the signs that are around us. And sometimes those signs are just our conscience. We just know inside it's wrong, but we go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, we make a mess of our lives. Sometimes it is the red flags that come up and we just feel like, yeah, this doesn't feel quite right. But then we go ahead and do it anyway and we find ourselves in a mess. And there are times where God is trying to nudge us this direction. The Holy Spirit's trying to speak to us and, and we're just too busy. We got too much noise going on in our lives that we don't even hear. And we just miss exactly what God wanted us to do on any given day. So sometimes that happens. That can happen in big decisions. And it happens on a daily basis in our lives. But most of the time, again, the process of discerning God's will isn't that complicated. So I'm gonna suggest the first thing is just yielding yourself to God, right? It's, it's, I've shared this with you before. I get on my knees every morning. I slip out of bed, get on my knees and go, here I am. Thank you for everything. Thank you for my life and my family. And, and I praise God. And then I, then I, at the end of that prayer, after I prayed for everything else, I'm like, here I am, God. Help me to pay attention. Put me where you want me to be. Help me to do what you want me to do. Or Jesus said to pray it this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Thy will, thy kingdom come on earth, not my kingdom come on earth. When you pray that, and the early church prayed that, Christians prayed that three times a day. When you pray that three times a day, you are putting yourself in God's hands. You are praying for God to use you to do his will. Or I think about, uh, I think about John Wesley who gave us this prayer. We've prayed it many times around here. I am no longer my own, but thine. I often pray this in the mornings. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. You see, when we pray that kind of prayer on a regular basis, we're gonna find ourselves swimming in the middle of the will of God. It may not be a clear sign. It's just gonna be, we're gonna find ourselves in a situation where suddenly, like, you know, we're right where we needed to be at just the right moment. I wanna mention briefly too, a couple of other things. You know, we study Jesus to figure out what the will of God is. He is the word of God incarnate. So we don't need a direct revelation in the clouds. We got Jesus to teach us who he is and what his will is for our lives. And so we study the gospels. We try to hear his teaching. We imbibe his teaching. We, we take him, we internalize him as we seek to be his followers. We try to do the things that he did, right? And so we pay attention to that. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors, you'll love yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And a million other things that Jesus said in the gospels, we're meant to practice. That's the will of God. Not that complicated to figure out. Right? And it's not just in the teachings of Jesus found in the Gospels, it's also the teaching of the apostles or the psalmist or the Proverbs. And of course, we have to interpret all of those things. We have to be careful because there are certain verses we could take right out of context and apply it into our lives and find ourselves making a mess of things. But if we study the context, we understand the Bible, we begin to hear God speaking to us through it. 
So every morning we receive, we send out an email. Most of you receive it. Our GPS, our Grow, Pray, and Study Guide. You can sign up for it if you don't currently receive it. Uh, you can go to core.org slash next and just sign up for the GPS. We send you a bite-sized passage of scripture that we've carefully curated or selected. And we invite you to pray, God, speak to me through the scripture and then read it. And if you didn't get anything out of it, go back and read it again. Then there's notes underneath that. It only takes about five minutes to read the scripture and the notes. And then there's a devotional that goes along with it. And what I find is every time I read that, and I'm really paying attention, not distracted, God speaks to me through it. And I begin to discern one more thing about how I'm supposed to live my life, God's will and plan for my life. We need to listen to the nudges that come from the Holy Spirit, to really pay attention to the Holy Spirit whispering to us. And so sometimes we don't even sense it's the Holy Spirit. We just feel like we're supposed to do something. And most of the time when we feel that pretty strongly and sometimes not even that strongly, we go ahead and try it. And if it's a good thing or it's not something evil or wrong or inconsistent with God's will, we'll find ourselves in the middle of a place where we needed to be. So last week I called the, uh, the barber earlier in the day and called the stylist. And I said, you know, is there any way, I know it's late notice, but you know, it's like one o'clock, I think. And I said, could you get me in tonight? I have a dinner this evening and I won't be done with work until five, but could you get me in around 5.30? Now, where I go, it seems like they're always booked up at least a week in advance, which is really bad for me because I'm a last minute person. But I called and, and you know, to my surprise, the stylist that I go to was available at, uh, at 5.30. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And, and so, uh, so I was gonna go get my hair cut at 5.30, but I finished my work at about 4.30. And we had company coming over at 6.30. And so I'm like, I wonder if there's any chance she could cut my hair earlier. So I called back and I said, is there any chance that my stylist could cut my hair earlier? I'm, I'm done early and I could be there in 10 minutes. You know, and I thought there's no way, no way I'm gonna get to do this. Uh, but they said, well, no, your stylist is busy at that time, but we have a new uh, woman who's just started working here. Uh, and, and, you know, she could do your hair. Now she's just brand new, but, you know, she could, you know, she could cut your hair. And I'm like, okay, what time? 4.30 or 4.45, it was 4.30, I, uh, 4.45. That's awesome. I'll be right there. So I uh, drove to the barbershop 10 minutes away, uh, went in, met this young woman, uh, 22 years old, very sweet, uh, shook her hand. She said, as I sat down, she said, I hear you're a preacher. And I said, I am. I'm at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection down the road. And she said, I just can't believe you're in my chair. She'd never heard of me. She said, I just can't believe you're in my chair. She said, I've been really feeling like I needed to reconnect with God in the church. I'm like, that's so cool. Now she's got my attention. And so she's cutting my hair and we're talking about faith. And she's telling me about how her parents got divorced when she was a kid. And then her grandmother's gotten sick and, and, and uh, has cancer. And there's some other things. And just having this great conversation as we're talking together. And, and then we talk about the importance of the church and, and her feelings like she really needed to reconnect with God. It had been a while since she'd been a part of a church. And so, uh, so we're talking and, and then, you know, she shampoos my hair and, and we're still talking about this. And, and when I was, you know, when we were finished, I talked about the importance of church in my life and, and how we'd love to have her come visit one of our congregations, one of our locations. And, and you could even join on TV or online, you know, before you come, if you want to check us out. And, and uh, when, when we were finished, she said, do you ever have something happen in your day where you feel like that was supposed to happen? Because that's how I feel right now. Like I needed this. I, I have been feeling and, and wrestling and wanting to get reconnected with God. And, and you're sitting in my seat and like, we're having this conversation. And, I'm like, you know what? I feel that happens all the time. I said, every morning, and I told her what I just told you, every morning I wake up, get to my knees and just say, God, please use me today. Just take me where you want me to go. Have conversations with whoever I need to have conversations with. Use me, I pray. And she said, that's so cool. And I said, so we were done and I, uh, we were walking out and I, or I was walking out and I said, would it be okay if, with you if I just prayed with you right now? Okay. I'm guessing she probably hadn't had any other customers who'd prayed with her in the middle of the barbershop, but you know, I took her hands and, and just began to pray for her. I prayed for her grandmother and I prayed for her and for God's blessings on her life and to help her find a church family. And if it's resurrection, great. If it's somewhere else, that's okay too. And 
And then when we were finished, I just felt like I walked out and I just felt like I was maybe, this is the most important thing I did today. And I was supposed to be here at 4.40. Now I'd not planned that at the beginning of the day, had no idea. And I'd not planned it when I accepted the 5.30 appointment, but somehow something told me, see if you can get in earlier. And somehow it opened up and worked out. And I'm just saying that kind of stuff happens all the time. And that too is God's will. If you're paying attention, if you're paying attention. All right. I love this. When it comes to discerning God's will, there is one last quote I want to share with you. And this is something Frederick Buechner said, and I just love this quote. If you're trying to discern God's call or will in your life, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So pay attention to what you find joy in. And as you pay attention to what you find joy in, pay attention to, to the needs of people around you to figure out how the things that bring me joy might possibly minister to people and help them. In the midst of doing ministry, you're going to find a deep joy in your life, and you'll be meeting the deep hungers of the people around you. All right, I want to end with this. I spoke to a woman Thursday night. I had heard that she was ill. I, I thought, I really need to call her. She lives in Arkansas. Her and her husband, they are two amazing United Methodist Christians. They have made a difference in the world, and, uh, and in their, you know, their, I think they're in their early 80s, maybe. And as I was, uh, what I'd heard was that she had been diagnosed with ALS. So I got her phone number and I called her up and I talked to her daughter and we set up a time I could call back. So I called her back and, uh, and I said, I want you to know how much I appreciate you and the difference you've made in the world and how grateful I am for, you know, for your investment in my life and here at Church of the Resurrection. And I said, tell me how you're feeling right now. You know, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, I've been to the doctor and they've told me, here's what I can expect. I already have lost, you know, fine motor skills in my hands. And at some point I'm not gonna be able to use my arms and I'm not gonna be able to talk. And maybe I'll have a hard time swallowing. And I know all of this is on the horizon for me. And she said, but I know this, God is walking with me through it. I know that God didn't make me sick. It wasn't his will that I have ALS, but I also believe that in the midst of this right now, God can use me. And that's what I'm praying for. And before we were finished, that's what we prayed for together, that God in the midst of this darkness in her life, that the light that's inside of her that is shown throughout her life for Christ would shine even brighter in this dark time and we knew that when she and God were finished writing the story of her life, it was gonna be a redemptive story and it was gonna end with joy. My hope and prayer is you're gonna pay attention for God's will and that every day you'll offer yourself and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Would you pray? And I might invite you just to whisper these words. Thank you, God, for everything. Help me to know and discern your will. I'm grateful that you don't will suffering and pain. I'm grateful that we write together my story. Guide me, lead me, use me. Help me to pay attention and to live my life for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.